Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. Katy Perry and her unique brand of cotton candy pinup girl pop rock dominated pop music from her bi-curious debut in 2008 to her shark-ridden Super Bowl performance in 2014. But after the three-year hiatus that followed, she re-emerged in 2017 with a new look, a new sound, and a new album that no one wanted. Today, we're talking about the album Witness and its second single, Swish Swish. Bish. Bish. Is it problematic that she says bish? Or is it is it bad? Not, not bad, but how cringy is it that she says bish? I think when we get into this, the whole thing is cringy. And I think that, I think the album has aged well. But I think for her, it was just very cringy. Because this was also around the time of like, what Hillary had just lost. Mm-hmm. Donald Trump had been sworn in and she had her like activism, her like, I don't know. It just, I think it all just kind of came together into weird sort of pop star having an activism moment. Why has Katy Perry though not been cringeworthy? I think she has forever. Okay. But I think it was especially... More cringy than her claiming to be an LGBT advocate and coming out with a buzz single called You're So Gay. <laughs> that was Madonna's favorite song. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, we'll, we'll get into it, I'm sure. This is but... the, the, the astounding thing to me, as we'll find out, because I, I will reveal later, or I'll reveal now, I'm not a Katy Perry fan. I love this song, though. I love this whole album. I, I enjoy Katy Perry for, like, a very specific kind of vibe. Okay. Like, like you know, going out, doing whatever. Like, I have positive associations with some Katy Perry songs because of that. Okay. I've never truly really liked her voice. Okay, fair. And I did not like her songs when she first came out. But it's it's one of those things where I, I distinctly remember driving on, like, a sunny day and not really paying attention and waking up in Vegas came on. And I remember before that mm-hmm. being complete, just like offended by the premise of the song and just like the whole thing. I was just like, "Ugh, this is stupid. Like the most banal pop, like dumb. And it just kind of washed over me that day. The, the pop construction of it kind of hooked me. Okay. You know how like sometimes songs like you like them in spite of yourself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it was like, oh, like this song is really catchy. Wait, I think I get it. Okay. I get none of it. That's, I mean, I don't know. What can I say? At best, Katy Perry is to me tolerable and nonsensical. I think that's part of her brand. And at worst, she's completely unbearable. Not her as a person. I think I actually enjoy watching her as a person, but mm. her music by and large, I have this inverse relationship. It's uh, backwards and upside down that the more well-received and the bigger hit her songs are, the more unbearable I actually find them. Hmm. I don't I don't have that. So, um why is Katy Perry on our mind this week? Well, okay, she performed at the inauguration. Uh, fire, firework, right? Which, which I did enjoy. I, I hate I, that song. So, hate that song. That song's look, terrible. Look, you're a curmudgeon, but I. <laughs> Do I mean, you think it's, it's a not good a thing great, to be? No. Like, I, okay. What? Go ahead. Go uh, ahead. I, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I said First no of all, preemptively. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I I hit a point with a lot of Katy Perry songs and I could just be, I could have like a vendetta against Katy Perry. I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I listen to her Mm -hmm. songs and I never really 
think about lyrics and pop music that deeply but most Katy perry songs she'll say something and i'll be like what are you fucking talking about <laughs> there there's there's a, the first verse where she's talking about like do you feel like a plastic bag uh-huh. right flip flitting around in the air mm-hmm. okay there's that image but then like the second follow-up line to that is about like or do you feel like you're six feet underground like she's comparing these two things trying to equi- equivocate like Either feeling like, lost and flying around like a plastic bag or feeling like you're dead and buried in a casket. And she's like, do you feel that way? And I'm like, well, no, not both those things simultaneously because those are very different. I things. think she's, I think she's like, you know what? You're a, fire, you're a firework. And I'm like, okay, great. So I'm going to burn bright and then die and never be seen again. <laughs> but when paired with music, you make people like Jason Marcos cry. Yeah. Well, okay. So she did that. She did that inauguration uh, performance. By by uh, by by the way, like inauguration happened. Aren't aren't we all just thankful we got through it? We're in um, a new era. I mean, it truly feels like it. So I I think with Katy Perry and the thing that we'll talk about, like, <laughs> is for me, I can hold two very different sort of opinions in my mind at the same time. Mm-hmm. A this is ridiculous. These lyrics are terrible. And B, I thoroughly enjoy this. Okay. Like, I know it's not, you know, high art. But like, at because I was laughing when, you know, when at the end, <laughs> so, you know, we're watching the inaugural concert. And I thought it was very well produced. Um, okay. And, you know, sometimes I like that stuff when it's got the right people. And, you know, we get, I'm... I could tell this was like the end and they have, they cut and there's Katy Perry there. And I was like, I turned to Adam. I was like, Oh no, she's going to do firework and they're going to have fireworks. Aren't they? What else are you going to do? But that's what I mean because it's Katy Perry. And I mean like, but it's like the closing. So, so I did, you know, so it's the closings of this. She's in front of the Lincoln Memorial um, or between the Lincoln Memorial and the Washington Memorial on the reflecting pool. And, you know, she looked great. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It is funny to me as we talk about Katy Perry and we talk about her discography and we talk about her singles um, that she would be the, by virtue of her placement at the end, the finale of this ceremony, that she is the pinnacle of American art or something at this point, like leading us into the uh, Biden era. Mm -hmm. I I just think that's funny because you wouldn't have thought that when she's singing about waking up in Vegas in 2008 or 2000, whatever, um, way back then. But but there is something it's like it's like sometimes that kind of pop music paired with big images, big performance and fireworks and things. And you know, I think sometimes it comes together in where you can't it like triggers all the things in your brain that like like that sort that respond positively to that sort of thing, even while you're like, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like this song is about nothing because what is it saying about like the new era that like we're all fireworks and that's what we're going into in 2021. Like we're, yeah, it's, it's kind of a very trite message, but I think executed in this perfect pop pill that is just so easy for people to swallow in that pop consumption way. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. There's a, there's a spark in you, Jason. <laughs> Well, you know what I did learn. So the inauguration concert had been planned, had been in the works for a couple months. Mm-hmm. But after the insurrection on January 6th, several 
high-profile performers dropped out. So what ended up happening was Katy Perry wasn't necessarily supposed to be the the final, the finale performance. Mm -hmm. Um, It's also why there were so many fireworks. Because (laughs) that was supposed to be spread out over 30 to 40 minutes and ended up all having to go in four minutes for the one performance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it just so happens she has the perfect song for that. The more you know. Yeah, isn't that funny? Anyway. I just, um, I, you know, I can get on board with the idea of like, what was it that you were saying about sometimes things are ridiculous, but mm-hmm. you like them anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can get on board with that. I think for me, there's a difference between being ridiculous and self-aware. Like, I think that there's certain parts of Katy Perry that do things that are ridiculous with full awareness of how ridiculous they are. And then there's a whole other subset of things that are ridiculous. And I'm not sure if she knows. Yeah. Like, like they're not talks, even on the joke. The like, way it's some, like, yeah. Sometimes the way she talks about her music, it, it's like, she takes it very seriously sometimes. And I'm like, is that really what's happening with your music? You know, she talks about the album prism and she talks mm-hmm. about like, Oh, it's, it's, it's dark. It's personal. It's, you know, it's, it's darker than I've ever been. And I'm like, is it? You know what? You know what? One of the things, and again, I don't know if we're going to talk about this later, but anything that's not a number one or a complete flop, we won't talk about. I promise. Well, she's so prolific and popular and successful, mm-hmm. has so many superlatives, you know, the most of this, the highest number of this, that I think for someone, like, I don't know how, I don't know how you would manage to maintain a certain level of self awareness. If, for example, you are the first person to reach 100 million followers on Twitter, like mm-hmm. to think that like, well, what I do is kind of ridiculous and I should, you know, I, you know, I'm glad this is helping people, but it's not, it, it it's very tongue in cheek or, I, you know, it's not like, you know, I'm not doing, I don't know what, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not writing prose here, but the fact that like this many people care and this many people have brought it to this point, I think possibly at some point in your brain, it merges that it must be important <laughs> and that everything you do, like to your point about, um, you know, you enjoy watching her and kind of, you know, some of the things that she does. I don't always get the sense that she's very out of touch. Do you know no, what I mean? But yeah, like, no, but, so but, 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 yeah. I was reading certain quotes that I was like, does she understand? Like, sometimes she seems to be completely aware of, like, what her music is like, you know, mm-hmm. that she, that there's, there's almost like a weird owl kind of aspect to some of her music. A weird, weird oh, owl. I, I was like a weird owl. No, weird I owl. Like, um, <laughs> I was like, I was imagining like, going, and like spitting its head around. <laughs> so I always think that like, you know, she makes these really over the top silly videos. Um, mm-hmm. She recently did a video where she lampooned the fact that people think that she and Zoe Deschanel look alike. Did you see that video? <gasps> no. It's not the Which one is oh, that? Oh, mo- one of her most recent videos for It's Not the End of the World. Oh. Because she has just had a baby or she's pregnant. Mm. Did she have a baby? No, she had the baby. She, she had the baby. Daisy. She uh, recruited Zoe Deschanel to play her in that video she gets she aliens mistakenly abduct zoe oh. deschanel okay instead yeah, of katie perry seen... and they think she's katie perry and so they dress her okay. up like katie perry and like i've seen um clips of it because um a couple of people i follow on instagram ended up being in the video oh. as like aliens <laughs> and so but i never heard the song and and so i love that that's a good song i feel like it's, i feel it's, like 
I like that. I like some of the songs on this album. I like Daisies. I don't know if you like daisies. I don't like daisies. What is wrong with you? I don't know. We're we're opposite. We're backwards and upside down. But anyway, anyway. So I I feel like sometimes Katy Perry is in on how silly and mm-hmm. how fun her music is. Like that that to me was always part of her brand is that mm-hmm. she's just having a good time. So mm-hmm. in that regard, like you don't have to be that serious about stuff. You don't have mm-hmm. to think that deeply about her music. So to hear her talk about things and then I don't know. It just doesn't connect with me. So I, my, mm. my, I, I copy pasted this down and I want to talk about all this non sequitur stuff now so that I can avoid talking about it later. But the song birthday, do you, are you familiar? Is that from, t- uh, what, which it's album from, that? uh, prism. I'm not. It's, it's kind of like a continuation of last Friday night. It's very much in that vein. It's the one where she's oh, yes, talking about yes, like, yes, yes. I'm going to bring out the big balloons. Yes, yes, thinly, yes. Thinly veiled metaphor for naked breasts. Yes. <laughs> so, so yes. you know what that song sounds like? It's uh-huh. it's a weird. It's like a. I don't know how to describe that song. It's got like a Prince, Prince '80s Prince yeah. guitar riff to it. Very poppy, very silly. When she wrote that song, she said that that was her attempt at writing something that Mariah Carey would have put on her first record. No. <laughs> I don't. I just that that was like the first indication I had that I was like, does Katy Perry know what her music sounds like in reality? (laughs) No. Like if she had said it was like a a, like a a silly fun Prince and the Revolution song, I would have been like, oh yeah, okay. But then for her to go like something Mariah Carey would have written for her first album, I was like, do you do you know her? Does she know you? (laughs) Can you imagine saying that? About a song that you put on the same album as Roar? Uh, I I mean, just the fact that it's a song where she's talking about her big balloons is... Yeah. Mariah Carey would never. And and let's be... Well, I'm trying to think. Mariah... So, she had Vision of Love. Make It Happen. Oh, no, wait. Make It Happen was the second album. It was on the second... So, so I think the thing is, is like, Mariah... I don't think of her as super bubbly at that time. No. Right? Like... Like the like it like there were a lot of like ballads, but like and Vision of Love is not a bubbly song. It's no. a great song, but it's not. And bubbly. I feel like that sound that Katy Perry's hitting with Birthday is mm-hmm. like earlier than that. Mm-hmm. It's more like Whitney Houston, like eighties Whitney Houston. I think you're really right about the Prince comparison because it's it's uh, it's it, you're right. It's it clearly hard it's to clearly kind of a Prince inspired guitar riff. Yeah, it's hard to place, but. So for yeah, Katy Perry like to identify funk. that as a 1990 Mariah Carey sound is is disturbing to say the suspect. least. Suspect, very suspect. Yes. In other misplaced, I don't know what to make of this statement. News when Katy Perry wanted to make her second album, Teenage Dream, she gave Dr. Luke, the producer of that album, a mixtape of songs and artists that she wanted to kind of aspire to. Those artists were ABBA and the Cardigans. Mm. Yeah, I've never, I've never, I, I, no. I would never. <laughs> no, and 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 the other thing too, when I was when I was you know in preparation for this episode, I was, I was looking through it, and I, you know she talks about um, the Beatles being one of her, one of her you know greatest influences, and and in addition to the Beatles, she said, well, she also loved Alanis Morissette, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, as many did, right. Oh, 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 okay, here. It was, Perry is described, 
described the Beach Boys and their album Pet Sounds as having a considerable influence on her music. Quote, Pet Sounds is one of my favorite records and it influenced pretty much all of my songwriting. All of the melody choices that I make are because of Pet Sounds. Huh. So I'm trying, you know, so I was trying to think like in, I was like, hmm, the Beach Boys and all their harmonies. Because like, like, that was the thing with Pet Sounds. Yeah, was, Pet Sounds I is remember, like, <clears throat> continu- I- uh, it's considered by many to be like the like the second best album in rock history i think yeah. like behind the beatles well it the, was like brian it was like not the harmonies yeah it's and it because it's not like the the california surfer beach boys type of stuff mm-hmm. that maybe most people are familiar with not john mm-hmm. stamos on the drums not like playing kokomo you know yeah because no. brian wilson before you know he had his troubles was developing these obsessively fantastic and unheard of harmonies yeah yeah like just super complicated arrangements i remember we learned about them i took uh the history of rock and roll in uh, my freshman year of college um and you know the professor would play these clips oh my god i'm thinking about it now he he had a tape player <laughs> and we we were in an auditorium and he would play it and and he you know he'd cut little snippets and you know, he just break down sort of what musically was going on. And I had never, I, I mean, I gained such an appreciation for like, for, for songwriting like that. And, and, and just the level of skill and talent that like, you don't realize like, why is your brain responding in this way to this music? And it's because it's just, it, 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 these chords and the way they come together, just like hit on these pleasure centers in your brain. Um, it's it's just very satisfying. So so that was one thing that that stood out to me. Um, I know Alanis Morissette is another one that she really loves. Um, she also really loves Bjork, apparently mm-hmm. as well. Um, I, I can see that in some of her more fantastic, like just in a very pop way, taking in pushing her image in a certain creating imagery, but like applying it to like her her sort of aesthetic. Um, my favorite. Katy Perry song mm-hmm. is Wide Awake, which is okay, that's a good one from 2012. To me, that that is the the kind of Katy Perry I liked listening to. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not taking itself too seriously. It is not too silly. Mm-hmm. Like, it's the perfect tone, and I love the layers. I like when when um, you know, like towards the end. When there's ad libs and it's kind of swirling, you know, the ad libs and the, the the melodies are swirling back around and they're kind of overlapping over each other. I, I like that sort of thing at the end. That's um, the influence of pet sounds, Jason. <laughs> you don't you didn't know that? Oh yeah, I hear God only knows in that. Oh my god, it's just God only knows. Um but you know what I mean? So so like yeah. that was for me, like I you know, I enjoyed the other song, I, you know. I enjoyed the other stuff on it because I think we were going out at the time and like they would play it. And, you know, a lot of the bars we'd go to would play the videos at the same time. And so like Mm -hmm. the videos, you know, the, the sort of kitschy, the kitschiness of the videos, the fact that we were all just kind of having fun, like that. I just thought of her like truly like her album suggests as kind of just a confection, (laughs) you know, a very pop popular confection. Um, But the stuff that I would listen to by myself would be like wide awake. Okay, I see that. That's a good song. I, I mean, so my favorite Katy Perry song, 
Okay, this is going to be controversial. I think that my like my the the song by Katy Perry that I actually derive a lot of fun in listening to is her it's her Mariah Carey homage birthday. Huh. I have a lot of fun listening to that song. I think it I think to me Katy Perry is at her best when she is stupid and fully aware of it. And I think that that song is stupid and fully aware of it. Yeah, and I think, and I think I that think, it matches her voice. I think that, yes. you know, I think you pointed out earlier that like you've never been a huge fan of her voice. I've never been a huge fan of her voice, mostly because I feel like it occupies a certain space that I don't think the majority of her her tracks support. The majority of her songs, I think, her voice just kind of tramples all over the music. Yeah, or 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 it's just so like it has to be so produced in order to in order to. To sound that way, like I, I was reading something. Well, I think I was that that's a fault of how... her music is that it is overproduced. They they sand they sand down all of the edges on all of her music. Mm. That... But I think part of that is because of her voice. Like I, I had read oh, no, something I, that I disagree. Were... Well, because I think her I music had... would sound. I think her, especially her early pop rock music, would sound so much better if they did not box in all of those instruments. Hmm. Her voice okay. is so like. It's her voice is just covering all of the instruments like like frosting on a cake, like syrup. Never, well, in that, never in that have sense, you, never heard, have you heard a, like a rock drum track with so little reverb, so quiet than you did in the album version of I Kissed a Girl. <laughs> they had that they had that drummer sitting inside of a styrofoam cooler and then they duct taped him inside of it. And then put the microphone on the outside because it's it's ridiculous to me. That's and funny. she has a rock voice. She has a rock voice. That's what she keeps insisting. It's but I, I'll talk about it later. I think I guess I guess you're kind of right, and it and it's sort of because there's there's something about a quote unquote rock voice that is not about precision all the time, right? Yeah. And I feel like to your point about the productions and things. Everything about her music requires it to be very precise and her delivery to be very precise. And I was reading something about how, you know, Katy Perry has made a career out of singing song, out of, out of, out of creating hugely popular singles that she could never perform live Mm -hmm. without a lot of digital help because they require that absolute precision. And that's what we expect from pop stars. We don't necessarily expect that from rock stars all the time. There's like a, a sort of roughness or a, a, to yeah. your point about like having the edginess, like there's not like being a, sanded down. I think that there's a story to be told about what happens to young females singing rock in the early 2000s into the late 2000s and 2010s. I think that there's like that genre dies mm-hmm. and it's res- it, it, like the death of it. I attribute to Katy Perry, which is part of why I don't like her music. Oh wow, that's a lot to put on. This it's one. not her fault, but I think that <laughs> I think it's more the fault of like Dr. Luke, who produced mm. her music, mm-hmm. that was trying to sand down all of the edges to rock music to make it palatable again. Is that kind of like the Kesha of it all too? Because I mean, because uh, Kesha the, the, was the, the yeah. it's the it's the Avril Lavigne girlfriend of it all. Mm. A doc, the doc, the Doctor Luke track that took Avril Lavigne into the pink Hello Kitty world of roller skating through her music videos. 
that song is terrible. Anyway, I we're we're way into this. Um, I had hoped that by introing this episode this way to kind of have a vomitrocious discussion about Katy Perry could avoid any sidesteps when we actually start talking about it. But um, no promises because I still have a lot of I have a lot of word vomit to get through with Katy Perry. <laughs> Very little to actually say about this song itself. But um, uh, I I really hope that you do talk about this song because I had a visceral reaction. To, to hearing you <sighs> propose Swish Swish. Uh, so good. It's like the but, best but, Katy Perry song. I had a visceral okay. response. but um, I want to know. I, I, we'll talk about why. Let's take a break. Okay. <laughs> I will, we'll, I'll, cover the, I'll cover the bases on the litany of facts about Katy Perry as quickly as possible so that we can move on and uh, get into the meat of this about what's going on with Katy Perry. Let's take a break. Just start. <laughs> Let's just talk about who Katy Perry is. I think it's important to kind of quickly get through her biography, hit some key points in her career before we get to the catastrophic failure of Swish Swish. But so Katy Perry actually begins her singing career as a Christian contemporary artist. In 2001, she releases an album under her given name, Katie Hudson, which reportedly sells a whopping 200 copies before her record label goes bankrupt and shutters its doors. Making the move to secular music thereafter, she begins using her mother's maiden name, Perry, at least in part to avoid confusion with the actress Kate Hudson. Which is funny because that's something that um, Michelle Williams never did. Mm. She was like, I don't care. Nobody's going to remember me. Well, you know, with... Oh, God, I'm already deviating from my script. But, you know, mm-hmm. Michelle Will- mm-hmm. Black Michelle Williams of Destiny's Child, her given name is Tanitra. Oh, so she... yeah. Michelle is her name that she uses so that she doesn't outshine Beyonce, I think. Well, what's Kelly? Isn't Kelly's um... Calendria and Tanitra? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is Beyonce Calendria and Tanitra, and they made them Beyonce, Kelly, and Michelle, so that it could be Beyonce and those two other chicks that sing behind her. Mm. Michelle, sad. Michelle, what is that anyway? Yeah. She's Katy Perry, no longer <laughs> Katie Hudson. <laughs> okay, so um, she also at this time begins working with Glenn Ballard, who, among other things, is notable for being instrumental in the production of Alanis Morissette's 1995 album *Jagged Little Pill*. And I feel like that this is like a common thing with female artists who come up after Alanis Morissette that want to convincingly reinvent themselves or hearken into the sound is to invoke the name of Glenn Ballard, right? Because Alanis mm. Morissette with Jagged Little Pill was able to reinvent herself. Alanis Morissette was a Canadian pop star, formerly like television star. She was on yeah. You Can't Do That on Television. And she somehow convincingly made um a rock album about giving dave coulier a blowjob in a movie theater right <laughs> yep and we all bought into it i mean it was good it was good but i think that's the thing with any artist trying to stage uh a conversion so to speak mm-hmm. is that it, it it's hard to be convincing without it just seeming like a ploy of some kind to be like oh you're just trying to curry favor with rock audiences you're really uh you know a gospel artist or you're really a pop artist you know yeah anyway so she so she hooks up with glenn ballard at this point in time starts working on her songwriting with him in the years that follow a couple of record deals materialize and then dematerialize for katie perry the first is with uh 
Java, which is uh, Ballard's own imprint with Island Def Jam, and then another with Columbia Records. And though she never releases an album during her tenure at either of these labels, she begins broadening the roster of writers and producers that she's working with. Among notable additions to this list, The Matrix, a producing team that worked on Avril Lavigne's debut album, Let It Go, or Let Go, uh, Dr. Luke, who had written Since You've Been Gone for Kelly Clarkson with Max Martin, and Butch Walker, who co-wrote My Happy Ending from Avril Lavigne's second album, Under My Skin. So I think that there's like a clear angle, a trajectory yeah. for where where they view Katy Perry heading, right? Mm-hmm. I think that those notable additions to her roster of writers and producers is interesting because like I remember The Matrix just being everywhere. And it's funny that like really you can't find a whole lot of information about them now. But one anyway. of the interesting things I think about that list is, you know, you know, coming from where she was. Uh, I, to be to be co- completely honest, I don't know. I haven't really listened to a lot of stuff that she had recorded. I don't know. I mean, I I assume there are like little demos and things here and there that you can find online to kind of hear what her sound was. But it's kind of it's interesting to me that someone who hadn't had an album, I guess maybe it's the Glenn Ballard of it all. But like to get in a room with Dr. Luke and Max Martin at the time. Or any of those people. Like, Dr. Luke, I don't think was a big deal at the time. Well, but Since You've Been Gone was such a big deal. But he was a, he was a house band member for Saturday Night Live until 2008. Mm. It's only after Katy Perry becomes a big hit with I Kissed a Girl that Dr. Luke really starts to take off. Yeah. Like, I think that, uh, I think that really the, the pinnacle of female-fronted pop rock for the early 2000s was the matrix mm. that was avril lavigne that was um liz fair that terrible liz fair song <laughs> you know they worked with i feel like i feel like a lot of people would name drop them at the time like hillary duff or like Lindsay lohan a lot of mm-hmm. those uh borderline pop rock female artists of the yeah. time would name drop that was the kind matrix. of their thing yeah and then um when kelly clarkson's breakaway album came out breakaway the lead single was produced by the matrix since you've been gone was produced by dr luke and i feel like that's when the table started to turn and when you start to see more people working with dr luke because after that um i think the next thing that the next kind of big thing that dr luke did was who knew by pink but then really after that then it was Katy perry then it was kesha then then he became like a really big name but up until that point i don't think that dr luke was that big of a deal and I think that that is just the changing nature of like what was happening to artists at the time. Like you have Avril Lavigne who's working with the matrix in 2002, 2001, 2001, 2002. They did like complicated, which is the same song as why can't I by Liz fair. Yeah. 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 But then by 2007, right. Avril Lavigne wants to work with Dr. Luke and she makes that mm-hmm. terrible song girlfriend. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Terrible, but very popular. Anyway, sorry. Took you off your... uh... Uh, So Katy Perry. Katy Perry finally lands at Capitol Records in 2007. And then that's when her tried and true partnership with Dr. Luke really solidifies itself. And she um, works with Dr. Luke to finish up her secular debut, the pop rock album One of the Boys, released in 2008. The album produces three top 10 singles, I Kissed a Girl, Hot and Cold, and Waking Up in Vegas. As well as the buzzy promo single, You're So Gay which received a casual shout out from Madonna in the press. We can talk about that later. Her sophomore album, Teenage Dream, follows in 2010. The album, again, largely produced by Dr. Luke, produces five number one singles. California Girls, Girls with a U, 
who would have thunk it? Uh, Teenage <laughs> Dream, Firework, E.T., and Last Friday Night, parentheses, TGIF, making it only the second album to produce five number ones from a single album aside from Michael Jackson's Bad. With the addition of the number three charting, the one that got away, Teenage Dream joins Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation and George Michael's Faith as the only albums in chart history to have spawned six top five singles. So since, as they say, more is more, the album is re-released in 2012 as Teenage Dream, colon, The Complete Confection, with two new singles, another number one, Part of Me, and a number two charting, Wide Awake. As you stated, one of your favorite, favorite Katy Perry songs (laughs) of all time. 2013's Prism follows thereafter, producing the number one singles Roar and Dark Horse. She embarks on the Prismatic World Tour, which the Billboard Touring Awards would crown the top package of 2014. She also performs at the 2014 Super Bowl halftime show, producing the most watched and highest rated show in Super Bowl history with 118.5 million viewers, more viewers than the game itself. Four million more people watched the the halftime show than watched the super bowl which i i that's a lot (laughs) like you know we were talking about her before and like her self-awareness or whatever i mean like when you've got stuff like that under your belt i I don't know it's kind of how self-aware do you could you be sometimes i think like it just feels like validation on such a huge scale for everything that you do but i I think that like the success of stuff like that it, it, it should validate I think because I think she is very self-aware that she is she's a silly person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and 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 the imagery in that. In and that. I think that all val- is all validated by the success of everything that came out with Teenage Dream. Um, yeah. But to hear her characterize things in a particular way, I think this comes up with the album Witness and with the song Swish Swish. To hear her, the way that she characterizes it sometimes sounds a little bit off. Got it. You know, I understand. Yeah, it'll come up. But um, yeah, after the conclusion of the Prismatic World Tour in 2015, Katy Perry sets off to work on her next album. And this is where our trouble begins. So Katy Perry's been on this runaway train of success. And by comparison, after this album cycle, she takes a rather lengthy break, meaning probably about a year. And so we don't see any new material from her until 2017. A whopping, what is that, three years since uh, Prism came out. And this is the album Witness, the second single of which is the song Swish Swish. And I know that when I talked to you about this, like you were completely baffled. Mm-hmm. Baffled by the fact that I can identify this as one of my favorite Katy Perry songs. Mm-hmm. And this whole album is hands down my favorite Katy Perry album. Mm-hmm. Let me say this. I hate Katy Perry's music. I find her music intolerable, by and large. Her music has never fit her voice. Her attempts at making rock music have been terrible because, as I stated earlier, it sounds so tacky and cheap and everything that I don't want rock music to be. If you're going to make rock music, I want my drums to sound like they are echoing through an arena. If you have a guitar player, I want to hear the pads of his fingertips scraping across the guitar strings when he's transitioning between chords. I don't want all that stuff scrubbed out of existence, (laughs) sanitized to the point of like, uh, like her music to me, her rock, her pop rock music to me is it could be 
on a kids bop album. Mm -hmm. It's that flat. It's that constrained. It's that sanded down. It's just not, it's never been good to me. And like I said, to me, Katy Perry is at her best when she is being stupid, when she's being silly, when her lyrics don't make sense. And you kind of feel like that's the point. I hate it when her lyrics don't make sense. And I feel like she's earnestly trying to make a song (laughs) and unknowingly spewing words that don't make sense. Case in point, Dark Horse. I don't know what you think about the song Dark Horse. No, I'm not a huge fan of Dark Horse. I was very upset because we were in the car listening to the song Dark Horse and Davy's young, impressionable nieces and nephews were in the car. And I did not want them to have any misunderstanding about what the euphemism Dark Horse meant. And I told them, do not take your understanding of what a Dark Horse is from this Katy Perry songs because that's not what she's talking about. (laughs) Also... Do not take your understanding of what a perfect storm is from this song, because she's also not talking about a perfect storm in this song. (laughs) Maybe this is evidence of her influence, of Alanis Morissette's influence on her, and Alanis Morissette's famous song, Ironic. True. Which famously gets irony wrong that ruined our whole generation's understanding of irony i get confused about irony because of that song (laughs) i had a better understanding of irony in 1994 as a 14 year old than i did in 1995 as a sophomore in high school listening to alanis morissette but anyway but it's that thing of like sometimes i feel like Katy perry's in on the joke of like how stupid her lyrics are and sometimes Mm -hmm. i feel like that's the point Katy perry is this fun persona that just likes to be silly and isn't it funny that she uses the word bish even though i don't i don't who is it appropriate for to use the word bish a 32 year old white woman i don't know i don't know who it's funny though it's funny and i feel like she knows that it's funny yeah i okay so i feel like that that this song scores big points for me in in that column of like not being too serious i feel like by and large, a lot of the songs on Prism, because Prism was an album that I think sonically was so good, it was it just had a lot more reverb to it. <laughs> yeah, more layers. It like yeah. it didn't have that closed off feeling of like Teenage Dream or One of the Boys. Like there was an expansive, echoey etherealness to a lot of those tracks, uh, a very One Republic kind of Ryan Tedderness to it, hmm. that I feel like very very much complements her voice. But a lot of the Prism songs I felt like took themselves too seriously, which is not what I look for out of Katy Perry, which is why the the best song to me on Prism is the song Birthday, where she's going to bring out her big balloons. Because that to me is quintessential Katy Perry at her best. But the song, Swish Swish, it's, it's a house-inspired track. Yeah, 90s house-inspired. 90s house. And I love this reference for Katy Perry. I think in that I hate her as a rock artist. I like her doing the things that are as far away from rock music as possible. Mm. And to be tapping into some uh, 90s ball voguing the house down boots. Uh, <laughs> but that's... But, again, a House music realness. <laughs> I live for it. When she performed this song on SNL. Mm-hmm. And she had uh, a bunch of drag queens 
with her and they staged a runway show or like a, you know, a, a ball basically mm-hmm. of the, of the drag queens kind of coming down the runway. That to me made a moment that is emblematic of that song and the way I feel about that song. And then the backpack kid, the backpack kid some comes out. The, he invented the floss. Yeah. And it's just, it's so magic. I forgot that that's the enduring legacy of this song. Katy Perry hits a point with witness with swish swish where people are no longer willing to come along with her on these rides, right? That like, I feel like there was a point, and maybe it's an ageist thing. There was a point that Katy Perry was kind of like on the forefront of meme technology. Mm-hmm. And then there was a point where the narrative shifts to, well, Katy Perry's just doing this because she, it's a meme and she's just trying to, you know, mm-hmm. glom onto these trends. Uh, Not that she's starting the trends, but that she's glomming onto these things. And I'm like, you know, at what point does that change for her? I, I also think that in the context of 2017, mm-hmm. this 90s house reference, the specific ways in which it manifests itself and the ways it manifests throughout the rest of the album is not in keeping with what was popular at the time. So, you know, looking at the other, like the Hot 100, like what what was on the Hot 100 that year? Like, pure pop comparison, Ariana Grande side to side featuring Nicki Minaj. It was, it was more of a reggae dance hall, maybe a little bit more vibe. Um, You have uh, just different kinds of pop. Like you, like that slow hands, Nile horn song, Um, you know, there's Bodak yellow, Cardi B, Sean Mendez, you know, Charlie Puth, None of these songs like, relate to each other, though. That's the thing. They don't is relate I feel like to each anyone other. Could do but anything, and it would take off. But not, as long as as long as as long as you're. But none of them had a '90s vibe. They were all different. None of them had a '90s vibe. You don't think of like side to side as having like a. No. Okay, let me ask you this then: Why does this song sound exactly like Truffle Butter? I don't know. I didn't like Truffle Butter either. But people liked Truffle Butter. They did. But I didn't I like Truffle Butter because it was but called I think, Truffle Butter. You know why? It's Nicki Minaj. And Nicki Minaj, unfortunately, couldn't save Katy Perry on this one. Because it wasn't... I think I think if Nicki Minaj had released an album or a track that sounded like this, that was just her rapping, like her verse on this album or on mm-hmm. this record, um, it probably would have been more successful. I think to your point about Katy Perry and like, you know, it being having been three years and... Like, what about Katy Perry and her output to this to the to this point would would vibe with this direction? Or you know what I mean? Like, okay, and, and what? <laughs> I think that Katy Perry's output up to this point was inconsistent. Where did the song where does the song ET fit into what she'd been doing up to that point? Where does the song Dark Horse fit into what she'd been doing up into that up to that time? When she releases Prism, where does the song um This Is How We Do fit in? Oh no, not not this is how we do. Walking on air. Walking on air from Prism is 
100% pure love, crystal waters, CC Peniston realness. Hmm. So real that it doesn't even begin with Katy Perry vocals. <laughs> I don't um, know. I don't so know. So that's where I feel like Katy Perry. I, okay. Yeah. That's why I like, I, that, that's why, that's part of why the whole witness, the whole critically, the whole critical panning of witness of swish swish, all of the things that are, um, all of the things that they criticized this album and this song for, I don't understand why it never bothered people before. Katy Perry has never been a consistent artist. She's well, always because, been releasing a mishmash of okay. pop, pop rock, disco. Um, yeah, but uh, but techno, but I think the you know? difference is like I don't think she like to your point about like being ridiculous. This album, Witness, feels like she's trying to be cool. I don't think so. I do. She there's there's more sincerity. It, like you talk about that that sort of like the way she like is trying to. I don't know. I feel like well, okay, it's what trying I, to be cooler than like camp. If well, that makes sense. What I will say. Well, no. I see. I, I I disagree. I will say that where she was trying to be serious, and this is a misstep for this whole album, is that she glommed onto this idea and the press glommed onto this idea that this album witness was supposed to be a 360 degree. Like she called it purposeful pop. Mm. She wanted to be, you know, an activist. She wanted to be Mm -hmm. woke, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. This is in the aftermath of the 2016 election. Katy Perry had been out there stumping for Hillary Clinton and was very outspoken in her criticisms of, um donald trump who would then in 2016 obviously become president so this was yeah people were mad at her yeah well (laughs) and that's a question like did that contribute to the failure of this that in 2017 she's trying to say oh i want to do purposeful pop it's going to have a message she leads off with the single chain to the rhythm which does have a a message of Mm -hmm. liberating oneself from i don't know some kind of trappings. I'm waving my arms around my I head. I wish everyone like, could see you. You're doing like the walk like an Egyptian <laughs> dance. <laughs> right. But I, so I think that people had been prepared for this album to be truly a political message. And so to then come up with this second single, well, no, actually the second single is Bon Appetit, which is about oral sex, thinly veiled metaphor. Uh, <laughs> again classic yeah. Katy Perry thinly veiled metaphor um, and then the song Swish Swish which is kind of about like clapping back at your haters essentially right I think that in from the viewpoint of talking this album up as though it's some kind of woke pop so to speak people that's where the disconnect comes in where you're like well, what mm-hmm. the fuck is Katy Perry does she know what she's talking about and I think it detracts from the music itself. But I feel like she'd always been making statements about what she wanted Prism to be, for example. That it was a dark, introspective album. And I'm like, the song Roar? Your Sarah Bareilles ripoff song, Roar, is dark and introspective? Please tell me more. You know? <laughs> Your most adult contemporary friendly song to date? A staple on KBIG 104? <laughs> dark, introspective? Okay, thank you. I don't think she's ever been, I don't think that her talking points to the press have ever truly been 
in touch with the reality of what her music is. And I don't know if that's because well, it's, I don't know if it's because of what she truly believes or if there is some kind of like, I just imagine that on the marketing end of things, there's always a narrative like, oh, we have to push this like this and we have to push this like that. And we're going to move towards this narrative and away from this narrative, even if it doesn't line up with, you know, the reality. Yeah, And I think that's, spe- I think that's all part of the same thing. It's like, it's uh, very popular, obviously she's very popular, very, you know, able to connect. But her difficulty has been in being taken seriously. Um, and that was part of the image, too. Like, I feel like she played with that, right? Like, to your point about birthday, it's like there's a knowingness there that, like, I don't take myself seriously. You don't take myself seriously. However, the however, dark, when the she dark does and try... Deeply personal song No, but birthday. that's what I'm saying. When she tries to then insert a more earnest statement, like, no one takes it seriously. Because... It, it doesn't match up. Like, that's not... Like, if she ever made a substantive, deep and personal statement, I'd be there for her. If her lyric... If her deep and serious lyrics were not completely asinine, I'd be there with her. <laughs> well, that's what I... Well, yeah, and that's, that's what I was saying about, like, the whole thing about, like, all of the success, like, minimizing her amount of 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 aware self-awareness where it's like she thinks that those things can at the same time be deep and personal because they res- so many people responded to them to the tune of like 10 million people buying a single or whatever that like it gives it an inflated to her possibly and yeah, I guess. to other people like an inflated sense of like the sincerity of the statement because it resonated with so many people. I feel like, you know? but I feel that's the thing is I, I get so confused because I, 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 I truly feel like Katy Perry is so in touch with why people like her. They, they like her because of left shark. Well, but I think that's they like why her, this album like her didn't of her really work. Because I don't feel like Witness tapped into that. Now, that being said, I I think I think it's aged well. I think that it's right up there. the The lyrics are the the, the lyrics are Chef's Kiss, Katy Perry. <laughs> yeah, no, the lyrics are super dumb. Like I was listening to Tsunami, was listening it to Save as Draft, which is it's a pretty song, but like. Again, it's like, how can you take something seriously when it's called save as draft? There's other ways of saying that. Like, oh, I would buy. I mean, that's the thing is like, I whatever. I, I could live with that. What I don't understand, what I've never understood. And I, I'm perfectly fine with this, though, with this, in the context of this house inspired masterpiece, Swish Swish, God. is a tiger don't lose no sleep. Don't need opinions from a shellfish or a sheep. Where... Where in where do tigers encounter both shellfish and sheep? What? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I guess in India, the confluence of uh, some river delta and and the ocean, perhaps. Because the junk, a mangrove. Uh... Sometimes, sometimes I get like, I feel like sometimes Katy Perry she'll insert like lyrics that had just because they have to rhyme mm-hmm. like sometimes the lyrics don't make sense because you can tell that there was like a rhyme scheme that she's trying to follow literally the, with the word shellfish does not have to appear in that it's in the middle of the line so like that literally could have been anything so she consciously chose to pair shellfish and sheep as 
as potential like instigators of drama with tigers, right? Sheep yeah. and shellfish have opinions about tigers, but you know what? Tigers don't give a shit. <laughs> if that's not pure comedy, and she didn't know that that was pure comedy, I have solid concerns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I don't care about the lyric. I mean, the lyric, I do care about the lyrics, but like the reason I didn't like this song wasn't necessarily because of the lyrics. Okay. I just did why not. Didn't you, think, why didn't why did you not like this song? And I will rebut I don't every think, every bullet point. <laughs> I don't think that this particular '90s house reference resonated in 2017. If you look at the pop landscape, no one was referencing this, and it just—I mean, yes, it just all takes of the other that songs, one, Jason. Takes all of the, yeah, but but like, there was nothing in the journey to get there. I don't know. And then it's Katy Perry. It's like we've talked about this before. It's like an imperfect messenger sometimes for that, right? Yeah, like, I think that's the thing. Is like. At some point between 20, what did I say? At some tw- point between 2014 and 2017, she lost the luster to yeah. pop audiences. I think that prior to all of this, she was effectively giving people different sounds that other people weren't creating. Mm-hmm. I don't think that when uh teenage dream came out that that was a very mainstream sound i don't know what that song was disco was it disco i don't know i really don't i listen to that song now and i'm like what is what is this song why did this song ever come out to teenage dream teenage dream is a fucking horrible song no, it it's makes, very dreamy and like i mean look i so the only makes reason me i like want this to song, throw up you're strange. I don't. It's so bad. That song is so bad. You want to talk about songs that don't fit in anywhere? It's teenage. But dream. I think. I mean, it was. I mean, that was also the glee of it all at the time. When the glee version was so much better. Yeah, but the but yes, but it was also that also means then that it has a re, a, a related effect to the original song. <laughs> I don't think that music like this was being made. I think I really really think that Katy Perry was ushering in a new sound and people bought it. Cuz I I I I put this out there because there's a little bit of surprise like Adam was I think Adam was talking to me on I was drunk on a Zoom call. But like the surprise factor of like someone like me not being a fan of Katy Perry, given my other musical proclivities, given the fact that I think there are Dr. Luke songs that I do like, but Dr. Luke is very instrumental with Katy Perry, right? Mm-hmm. Um like why is it that I don't respond to Katy Perry? Why is it that I don't like Dr. Luke? And I really look at the trajectory of females doing pop rock throughout the 2000s and there is there is a change that happens and Katy mm-hmm. Perry is kind of at the forefront of that that when you look at the pop rock artists who preceded her it was a different sound um I was thinking about this a lot because I think that you would identify someone like a Katy Perry as being someone that I should on paper be a fan of Mm-hmm. When and I was looking back at like all of the things I was looking back at as far back as like 
I, I mean, it started with Liz Fair, mostly because Liz Fair makes the transition from being a big alternative rock hit in the mid '90s, and then comes back in 2003 with "Why Can't I," which, to be honest, like a lot of her original fans thought was just like a complete sellout moment. Mm-hmm. And that song "Why Can't I" that was produced by The Matrix who were responsible for Avril Lavigne's debut album, which feature, featured like complicated and skater boy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and so then you get all these other artists that are being pushed out. So that's where you get Fifi Dobson, you get um, Sky Sweetenham, you get Alex Johnson. I know you don't know any of these names, so I'm glad that you're not I know your them. Head. I know them. I know Sky Sweetenham. Oh, you know Sky Sweetenham because of our friend Eric. Um, Sky Sweet, but like n- none of them ever took off to the extent that I think someone like Avril Lavigne did, right? I think that mm-hmm. Michelle Branch kind of ushers in this era of like, oh, who are the young female rock singer songwriters that we can tap into? That's where you get like Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne's a big hit. They try it with like Fifi Dobson. They try it with um, Sky Sweetenham. Um, Alex Johnson, who starred in a television, se- a Canadian television series for The Noggin that aired mm-hmm. after Degrassi um, was about this like kind of tomboyish shy girl, teenage girl that discovered her like ability to like sing and write rock songs. And she entered this comp- television competition and then she meets um, Tim Roson who was okay. later, who would later play Mutt on Schitt's Creek uh-huh, uh-huh. as like a young, like record label dude. Anyway, that was my first exposure to that guy. And then I saw him on Schitt's Creek and I was like, oh, it's that guy from Instant Star starring <laughs> Alex Johnson. Um, anyway, I think the turning point for me is when Kelly Clarkson releases Breakaway and then she releases Since You've Been Gone. It kind of butts up the Matrix production versus Dr. Luke's production. And obviously, at the end of the day, Dr. Luke kind of won that head-to-head battle, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where you see the rise of Dr. Luke. And what I consider to be Dr. Luke's kind of watered down, sanded down, very constrained, almost like hesitant feeling rock. Mm. You think of that song as trying to be rock? Teenage Dream? No, no. Since You've Been Gone. Oh, oh, Because oh. Since You've Been Gone takes us into... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. takes us into I Kissed a Girl. It takes us to Hot and Cold. Um, and then by the time we get to teenage dream i feel like that's when um dr luke as uh darth sidious fully realizes his plan right <laughs> he's been sanding down the edges of rock music gradually over the years at which point we get teenage dream which is just i don't i can't pop. i can't i can't which is just yeah pop. It's, it's pop and effectively effectively once Katy perry becomes a disco queen <laughs> i don't know i read that teenage dream was supposed to be a disco album and i was like okay disco queen Katy perry it's just because it's like four on the floor i think it's because it has yeah because they dr luke takes rock music and then he'll remove essential rock elements like he'll, he'll remove them one by one. So like I kissed a girl, there is a rock quote unquote rock version of I kissed yeah. a girl. Mm-hmm. The version that we got is the pop version mm-hmm. because he takes out all the reverb from the drum track. So the drum has absolutely, it's the driest of dry. It's a crouton of a, of a, of a drum track. 
and then he takes out the he takes out the the live bass and he substitutes it with a synthesized bass line so that what you have is like kind of a rock guitar and a live drum that sounds like it's inside of a cardboard box with Katy Perry singing instead of like a rock song and it, so okay and I feel like those things were were gradually getting removed. It's like how Maroon Five started out as a rock band, and then it's like, you know what? Our drummer has arthritis. We're just gonna we're just gonna cover him up with a drum machine, and then we're gonna so, be a pop band. So, is your issue then that it's not rock, and you want it to be rock? I want it to be one thing or the other. What I think that Doctor Luke created by the late two thousands was what I think of as like an uncanny valley between pop and rock, in which it's it's neither you know like the the concept of the uncanny valley like we talk about that with the movie polar express because it's a 3d animated film that tries way too hard to approximate real life at which point it does neither successfully it's it's neither a good animated feature nor does it even remotely resemble a, a live action feature it just hits that the the lowest of low points between the two <laughs> And so, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It doesn't just then become sort of what defines pop music at the time. I don't know that I was as terrified of any other pop music as I was of Katy Perry's pop music. Terrified? It doesn't. It doesn't fully realize. Well, okay. This is the thing. I don't think that. I think once Katy Perry comes out on the other end of this with prism Mm -hmm. it sonically sounds much better okay what's baffling to me is that teenage dream which is the worst sounding thing i've ever heard is her most popular thing is the thing that broke all the records is what i think of as the true frankenstein uncanny valley scary like like real doll kind of disgusting thing it's I harsh. Do not, I don't understand. But I get, I mean. I think it's the worst thing ever. I think it's the worst thing that Katy Perry did. I think it was the worst thing on the radio at the time. It, it does not deserve the wild success that it had. It's not the worst thing ever. I think it's the worst thing ever in relationship to the fact that it was the most popular thing. The most successful thing in pop music at the time. I think that. That is what makes it especially disgusting to me. This is the opposite of flop redeemer. This is hit degrader. <laughs> you're no, you're a you're a you're a hit assassin. But that, so so this is where I get really into like once the trappings of trying to be a pop rock artist are gone, I think that her musical output is better, including this song, which I think is taking very cool references and maybe it's like. Maybe it's my like hipster leanings that mm. I like that it was taking an unexpected point of reference. Yeah, I mean, look, I I can even though, appreciate even though that. it's the same song. As I Truffle can Butter. appreciate it's the that, same but song I think, but I think that also is like it's very. I think hipster in like I am not an iconic. I, I'm 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 not one of those people who doesn't like popular things. And, and so, you know, like, because they're popular, um, I I don't like, 
you know, I, I, I don't automatically not like things because they're popular. I'm not saying that's what you're saying. But <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, sometimes, even though I do actually like the reference, I need to be brought along. And at this point, three, four years after Witness has come out, I like the references again. Okay. Like, I understand the musical point of view. I actually do appreciate those references, but I feel like that is the result of those kinds of 90s house references being slowly built up over lots of different pop music things and a lot of indie pop, or I guess what we want to call indie pop, indie pop, um, you know, artists um, to create a, a like a maybe a nostalgia point mm-hmm. where it's like it fits. And I wasn't there in 2017 where I was like, this is a cool or this reminds me of house music that I like. I mean, like, Oh, it doesn't. It, the, the funny thing too, is that I hate house. I hate that kind of house music, like deep house. I normally do too. Yeah. I, I love my, my, I love, I mean, you know, I love the gay piano crystal waters. Mm-hmm. What is 100% that? 100% pure love. Is that shallow like house? My favorite is, there like, song. is there deep house and shallow house? What's the opposite of deep house? Because sometimes deep house is just, it's too interior for me. It's too. It's too far in the house. It's too far in the house. It's lost. Like it's when basement. house music like loses all melody, mm. it gets a little mm-hmm. bit weird to me, which is essentially mm-hmm. what Swish Swish is. Swish Swish is yes. going more towards that house music that has like lost all sense of harmony yeah. or musicality it's more like here's a beat and here's someone singing and maybe they line up well i, I think it, it was i think to me it's this confluence of things right it's a she's been gone for forever b we've just elected donald trump katy perry was like around constantly in the lead up to that election i remember like like being very loud uh to uh, about in support of Hillary Clinton, which I do not, I don't begrudge her, but it did contribute to the narrative of some people on the right about like just being like the vapid nature of the left, um, you know, and and this is who I don't know. The, not I'm not I'm not saying I agree one way or the other, but like she was around at this time. There, mm-hmm. you know, leading up to this. So then she yeah. comes out with this song. The lyrics are stupid. I did not because this is the second out single, so Bon Appetit I didn't like either. Well, because this is the third. Oh, sorry, I did I call this the second single? This is the third single. This is the third single. Chain to the rhythm, mm-hmm. Bon Appetit, Chain- and then this mm-hmm. one. I think Chain to the Rhythm sounds the most like a Katy Perry song. Absolutely, at the time, like right. So it made sense as the first single. Bon Appetit came out, and I think I was. I don't want to say I was clutching my pearls. <laughs> There, like, to your point about it, like, what it's about, there's, there are ways of doing songs like that that aren't so, that don't seem so, like, it felt very headline grabby. Like, for Katy Perry, it felt like, I'm doing this, like, isn't this shocking? Like, this is what I'm talking about. Again, Uh, when has that ever not been Katy Perry? Well, it had been three years since. And I think that's, those are some of the things that, like, since, that, I think I don't like, that's why I didn't like her first stuff at the beginning. I kissed a girl. Like, you know, we I, we didn't really talk about that, but like that and the You're So Gay, it was like, 
being controversial for controversy's sake so that you can get eyeballs. Also and a little bit also a little bit like it was weird. It was weird. I I was, it was ha- opportunistic. I, I always had a huge problem with like the, there's like there's like the gay baiting kind of Yeah. Well, of, and I guess I kissed a girl. I, there's you're so gay, which I mean, okay, I I remember at the time thinking like, are people still saying stuff saying is gay that, as like yeah. a pejorative? Yes, they were because I was having conversations with people. It's so weird because I, I mean, like, I I feel like when I came out in college in '99, everyone around me suddenly became really aware of when they would say it. Oh no! And, it, and I don't know if people nowadays know that it was so pervasive that. The word gay was thrown around as a general pejorative just to say something was negative. You could say it about anything. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, our, our, our professor is, is uh, assessing us on attendance. That's so gay. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just anything. Yeah. And this and, came at the time when it was like hyper, people were becoming much more aware of that. Yeah, I, I think, think like and, it was funny because like I came out in college and so suddenly people that I knew in college were very aware of like, oh shit, when I say that, I'm actually saying that you are the biggest insult that I could give to anybody. That the biggest insult I could give to anybody or anything is to say that it's gay. And so I'm saying that about you, you know, like, like mm-hmm, I, it was, mm-hmm. that's why I was like, oh, by 2008, like people were still saying that. And, um. I, there's something weird too about like the 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 song hot and cold when Katy Perry says like UPMS like a bitch I would know and it's like this this idea that like we criticize people by or our biggest insults to people are to make make them feel like a woman or like a gay person yeah yeah and that women will do this to each other. Women will do this to men. Like women, like Katy Perry knew that the biggest insult to her, you know, fictitious in song boyfriend was to call him gay and to make him like a woman, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I don't. Anyway. Yeah. Katy Perry's yes, terrible. I mean, like, look, <laughs> yeah, but well, I don't necessarily look, I don't necessarily put that on like Katy Perry, like, weaponizing misogyny as much as culturally oh she's a product of it it's a product of it and we have a patriarchal system where that is you know we're we're still fighting that right like you know we're still and and i and i'm not (laughs) excusing it look i'm not excusing it but this is also like i'm not but i don't what i know you're not because i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not a huge katie perry fan i'm not gonna like die on this hill i don't i think it's incredibly tone deaf because what i'll say is that relating back to Katy perry being the death knell of female fronted pop rock is that the trope of the female in rock prior to that was almost the antithesis of what Katy perry was doing Katy perry was trying to say like i'm one of the boys i'm I'm one of the boys, mm-hmm. so I'm going to be titillating. I'm going to talk about kissing girls. I'm going to be demeaning towards other women. I'm going to be demeaning towards my boyfriend by calling him gay in a very, with a very masculine energy, but with my gigantic breasts. I'm going to be this hybrid sex symbol slash person that belches and farts in front of you. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, I feel like the archetype of 
a Michelle Branch and Avril Lavigne, even that story, that TV show, Instant Star starring Alex Johnson, the idea of the pop rock female was much more about a girl that you never noticed. This tomboy, plain Jane girl, or like, you know, this tough girl that wasn't trying to appeal to the boys. So, yeah. So, okay. So I think that that helps explain to me the root of your, because you feel like she hijacked that storyline for the unnoticed girls by being the most noticeable girl, but using that sort of, using the, the, uh, the, the, the tropey way in, like, like, Putting them down to get in and, where and they I'll, couldn't. I'll make it clear. I don't blame Katy Perry for this. I, I think that that train was reaching the end of the line. Mm-hmm. I think that they were trying to recreate what Avril Lavigne managed to do with her persona. And the truth is, like, that wasn't going to keep working. It worked with mm-hmm. Avril Lavigne, but it wasn't going to keep working. And then Ashley Simpson and all those people, like, none of it was going to work. So it's totally mm-hmm. fine that I think Katy Perry just represented... Um, it was kind of like, okay, this Avril Lavigne thing, it's not working when we're trying it with other people. And Katy Perry represents something similar, but slightly different. Like maybe the next progression of that trope mm-hmm. in music. Yeah. To and me, that's fine, to me, but that's fine. It just yeah. took away everything that appealed to me about those artists. Sure. Sure. I, I you know, I, I, I can see that. And I, I, you know, that was why I didn't like her at the beginning. Like mm-hmm. I didn't like, you know, it, and it's it's funny because as we as we talk about this, so she's been on the scene for what thirteen years now, about like she's her had a good run, about, yeah, thirteen years. I feel like you know it was so it was like to to your point it was very opportunistic like how she how her and her production and her management partners kind of positioned her took advantage of certain things like to your point to 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 gain a foothold it was like as you said kind of reaching the end of the line that wasn't really the way it was going to go and then it pivoted right it pivoted quickly to like the teenage dreamness which opened her up to um greater success um it is interesting to think about that those songs you're so gay um i kissed a girl etc hot and cold as being her genesis because I think so much time has passed now that, and, and and she's, whether it's her, it's authentic, whether it's part of like a very long, very successful PR campaign, which I think it could be both. um, She's pivoted away from that. And you almost have to like excavate everything to get back to those things. Cause I, I felt the same way you did at the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. It was very, I mean, you know, and that's why I said, like, I liked it in spite of myself when I heard, I was like, I understand, I was like, oh, I get why this is a popular song. Because I remember the discourse at the time being like, she's, I kissed a girl and I liked it. You know, like, again, it's that idea of being like the hot girl. It's, it's, it's not about being bi or being authentically a lesbian. It's the guys think this is hot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's their fantasy of two hot girls kissing, like because he's gonna get both of them. And so I think there was that like disgust. damn that male gaze. Yeah, yeah, it was. It wasn't written for a woman from a 
woman's perspective. It wasn't and written so, for all the truly bi-curious individuals yeah. out there. Well, and it minimized them, you know, it, it, and, and then, you know, she kind of pivoted very quickly. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't like Witness at the time. I think it was just like coming out of the other, the pre- previous albums, you know, there was Chain to the Rhythm. Chain to the Rhythm, you have Bon Appetit, mm-hmm. and then you have Swish Swish. They felt like they were getting, like, they were too dumb to be, but but presented sort of seriously, like with an edge, if that makes sense. Like, it wasn't as knowing as I think some of the other, like, birthday with the big balloons and stuff. There was something about, like, doing Bon Appetit with Migos, or doing... Um, you know, swish swish. You know, you mentioned with 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 Nicki Minaj, and you mentioned the Taylor Swift uh, backlash. There was the whole because what was it? Look what you made me do. Was it the Taylor? What was what was it the was Taylor Swift blood. song? Bad, bad blood, blood. And, so, and it was rumored uh, you, to be about. And I think it just felt whatever the music. It was a if the whole song then. Because she kept, because Katie, when she was asked about, like, is this a response to Taylor Swift's bad blood? Mm-hmm. She would always say, like, this isn't about any one person. But, like, if there is a person, they know what they did. And karma's <laughs> going to ha- come to them. So it was, like, kind of talking out of both sides of their, her mouth. Um, and then, like, you know, presenting Swish Swish as, like, this anti-bullying anthem. And then you listen to it, and it is truly so dumb that, like... It's just like if you take all of this together, this is not an effective clapback song, right? Like this is it's it just it kind of falls flat on its face. There, it's like, and it's trying to be presented as like very, like yeah, I got you. Like no, 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 no. Like well, I can't. Like I guess. Which, I guess I didn't think of it like that. I guess I I side with Katy Perry on this because I I mean, you know, we didn't. God, we're okay. We didn't really talk about the feud with Taylor Swift, what that was all about, but I fully 100% side with Katy Perry on the feud I itself. I do too. And so, in I that viewpoint, too. I feel like this song is fine because all this song is saying is basically like, like, why do you keep talking about me? I really don't care. Like, nothing you're saying is going to affect me. Or at least I yeah, want but- to feel that way. I want to project that out there that, like, you're gonna keep you're gonna keep sicking your fans on me. Like you want to talk about um, staging insurrections and dog whistles. Taylor Swift does not take any responsibility for what she did to Katy Perry. I know she's Look. like sta- she is talking out of both sides of her mouth, making songs that are clearly about Katy Perry. Uh, like you know, militarizing legions of skinny young model friends. <laughs> against Katy Perry all because uh, some dancers left. Yes. It was dumb. I'm not saying that like, I don't side. I'm not saying that I don't side with Katy Perry. (laughs) What I am saying is even if you side with someone, there is something really that really lets you down when the person that you want to win does not have a well-executed, perfectly scripted, 
uh, 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 comeback that really lands effectively. Like, I, I, li- I like I like the way Swish I know, Swish and you and four other people. Because um, I mean, but even I like the song outside of that whole narrative. But even it within that narrative, it's like Taylor Swift tries so hard to to like not come care. for to, she. What she does is she very explicitly comes for people in her music, but then publicly will not stand by that. Yes. She will that never say that those songs are about particular men or that this song is about Katy Perry. She'll never say that. She'll, and oh, all of that, all of those snake emojis that just filled the internet from end to end. Uh, Taylor Swift had nothing to do with that. She can't, she can't, she can't control them. But like, you know, you know what I'm saying? So like, for those no, who don't I, know, I understand. Though, I just feel like it wasn't the best. It wasn't like I a hundred percent agree. I, I, I it would, was a I would terrible song. Perry, though, I would go the Katy the Perry route of just being like, you know what, you're a shellfish. I know that doesn't make any sense, but I want you to know that you're a shellfish to me. A shellfish um, or a sheep? Or a sheep? But um, you know, we didn't touch upon it that deeply. But the whole Taylor Swift Katy Perry thing is revealed over time because Katy Perry and Taylor Swift were for a brief time very supportive of each other they appeared in pictures together they were tweeting at each other and at some point people put together the pieces that like it appeared that they were no longer close and there was an interview that came out with a dancer that just kind of you know casually mentioned that he had been dancing with Taylor Swift on her red tour and that the opportunity had arisen for him to rejoin Katy Perry's tour because Katy Perry had gone on uh, a break from touring. And in that period of time, some of her dance, oh, this is according to Katy Perry, right? Some of her dancers had gotten the opportunity to join Taylor Swift's tour. And they they asked, according to Katy Perry, they asked her like, is this okay if we go with Taylor Swift? And Katy Perry at the time was like, yeah, but just so you know, the touring cycle is gonna start up again in about however however many months or whatever. So Katy Perry, she has these dancers that join Taylor Swift's tour. When Katy Perry's touring cycle starts up again, those dancers opt to go back to Katy Perry. Back with the family. That's how okay. I would see that. That that Katy Perry was their original employer. Mm-hmm. She released them during a hiatus to enable them to continue just working, right? Sure. And then when the space opened back up for them to be with Katy Perry. They left Taylor Swift's tour to rejoin Katy Perry. Taylor Swift took a huge offense at this. And the way the, the word that Taylor Swift used about the situation was sabotage. That someone had sabotaged her by trying to steal away employee employees. And the way that the quote from Taylor Swift made it sound like someone had orchestrated like, a mass walkout of her entire staff when in fact it was three backup dancers and to realize that like such a huge deal was made of it that it had an impact on Katy Perry's public image is just so astounding to me and so anyway full full fully in defense of swish swish fully in defense of Katy Perry's stance on the issue it doesn't matter they made up 
did it have a did it have an impact on the release of this album i don't know it's like trying to figure out why hillary clinton lost the 2016 election everyone wants to point to a particular thing to say hillary clinton lost the 2016 election because she didn't court uh, moderates or she didn't court uh or she did really poorly with you know black men or she did really poorly with this this demographic or that demographic when really like who's to say like there's there's a bunch of little things that take little chips here and there out of the situation right Mm -hmm. and you can never attribute it entirely to one thing like all of these things added up to Katy perry because um also around this time was the fallout from kesha's accusations against dr luke yeah because the album witness for Katy perry it's her first album where she does not work with dr luke at all who was at the helm for all of her biggest hits up to that point and what happened is that for those that don't know what happened is that um kesha in 2014 begins to make allegations against Dr. Luke, who is at that point running his own record label to which Kesha is signed. He is executive producing and or producing all of her albums and all of her music. Um, Based on a, I think it was a CW reality series with Kesha, the fans, Kesha's fans start to suspect that there is something un untoward going on behind the scenes between Kesha and Dr. Luke. Her fans kind of start this movement to free Kesha, right? That she's being held against her will in this recording contract with Dr. Luke. Um, In 2015, Kesha uh, goes to rehab for an eating disorder. And this is when everything gets really ugly between Kesha and Dr. Luke. And that's when the allegations that he has been emotionally abusive towards her. There are reports from Kesha's mother that um, one of the reasons that she her eating disorder was like triggered was because Dr. Luke told her that she looked like a refrigerator. Um, you know, and then there's there's allegations of sexual misconduct and sexual assault and all these things um, that... Kesha files suit against Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke countersues her. Um, In the public eye, Dr. Luke is then a little bit poisonous. And a lot of the people that he had been working with up to that point start to distance themselves from him. So Kelly Clarkson says that she never thought he was like a cool person, that she didn't have a good time working with him. Um, Pink, who he'd worked with physically, uh, like physically, but she distances herself from him. And then Katy Perry, in the lead up to this album cycle, um, one of the things that she does is she does this insane live stream on YouTube. The Katy Perry, what was it called? um, Worldwide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a streaming witness, witness worldwide experience. So she live streams her life for 96 hours and she does all this stuff. She gets visits from people. She does interviews. Um, She goes to a therapy session that she televises. Um, 
I was watching one clip of her, Liza Koshi comes to visit her, who's a YouTuber, comes to visit her during her live stream, and they're sitting there watching a lot of Katy Perry's old videos, and she makes a point to stop in one of her old videos, I think it's hot and cold, she pauses it, and Kesha is in the video with her, and she makes a point to say, like, I love Kesha, I've always been really close to Kesha, and then she says, like, we worked with a lot of the same producers coming up, without saying Dr. Luke's name. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at that point she was making her stance pretty clear. But I remember in the lead up to it, people were really like, what is Katy Perry going to do about this kind of poisoned, um, what is it called? The fruit of the poison vine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when something's like poisoned downstream and then you have to figure out like what to do when it gets to you. Um, uh-huh. But, you know, like, what was Katy Perry going to do that? How was that going to impact people's perception of her her work going forward? I think distancing herself from Dr. Luke was a good idea. I don't know that in the public eye or from the viewpoint of her fans that that was enough. I don't know yeah. what, if you if, you, if that ever No, I remember. No, I remember that. And I remember it was... It's, it's interesting because... I don't remember a hundred percent. I'm so I'm just going off of what I can recall. Um, you mentioned that you felt she made her viewpoint very clear in that moment. My recollection of it and of the around it was she wouldn't say, mm-hmm. which I think, and I don't quite recall when me too happened but we're starting to get to this moment where you know about sexual assault and 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 listen you know the, the the conversations around believing women and listening to women i think it did negatively affect for sure because it was one of those things where like kelly clark since you've been gone is one of her biggest hits she had no problem coming out and saying that yeah. You know, that that stuff about Dr. Luke and distancing herself immediately. Pink, same thing. Katy Perry, arguably, has worked with Dr. Luke the most out of any of them. Um, And I think at the time, she still remained the closest to him. Yeah. Like, from my, from my point of view, she potentially had the most to lose by coming out against him. Explicitly. She did, and I think that's what people responded to. Mm-hmm. That the calculation was, I have too much to lose to go all in on this, and unequivocally, you know what I mean. And 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 it could be that, it could be that, um, you know, she could have said, and I don't, and, and so forgive me if I I don't know if she said this or not, um, you know that that was not her experience, but that she believes Kesha. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that's what she said or ever said. And I think, you know, that made a difference. Because, yeah. again, she had the most to lose. And it felt like the calculus was, I'm not ready to lose it. Yeah. Or put it and then the to, be, to be perceiving someone as making those calculations about an album that is specifically supposed to be, quote unquote, purposeful pop yes it all 
it all reeks a little bit, right? Yes. Yes. And that, because that, that's that's one of the other things that I think people were highly critical of was the characterization of this era as purposeful pop, as quote unquote woke pop, coming from Katy Perry, and then again, you know, I think that her execution of it again was like didn't line up with the words. Mm-hmm. Like I get that I get it if you're if you're if you were making this album and you're thinking like, yeah, I'm going to do something about like political liberation, sexual liberation, liberation from your bullies, liberation from this, that, and the other. That's all, that's all fine and well. I don't think it necessarily created the platform that you were talking up. Yeah. And so I think especially in the face of someone like Akesha that was going through something very publicly which, by the way, all of her all of the, her lawsuits were dismissed in court, mm-hmm. in the in the end, um, for a variety of different le- legal reasons. Um, so we'll never not necessarily on the merits of it, but just that that the, the like, contracts were written. The, in there such were like a way statutes that, of limitations. There were yeah. things that she had. I mean, she had done. I, what I read this is that she had done depositions in the past that had directly contradicted what she was now saying. But you know, she stood by her statements that like everything that she had done up to that point was out of fear for losing her ability to make music. Mm-hmm. Right. That like Dr. Luke really had all the cards in their relationship. And so, yeah, of course back then she was denying that anything untoward was happening, you know, until it, until it landed her in like physical harms way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anyway, um, my point is that I think with Kesha, what we saw with Kesha is that she undergoes this transition from kind of a throwaway pop artist talking about partying, talking about being drunk, talking about her wild life. And she goes through this experience very publicly with Dr. Luke. And then she comes out the other end of it, making uh, an emotional, meaningful, heartfelt, but still occasionally fun record. Mm-hmm. Right. The record that she came out with after that, it had some very emotional personal songs, but it also had some kind of fun songs. Yeah. And oh, I think artists, that, artists we've talked about in the past, Rabel yeah. wrote, I am woman. And I think that, and I think that we were willing to go along with Kesha on that journey because we felt that the transition was earned. Yes. There's something about the things that Katy Perry did with witness that felt unearned a little bit. Mm-hmm. That, you know, I mean, I mean, I, mean, I th- well, I think no, that there's exactly a revelation like that there's a revelation during this witness worldwide thing that maybe she was going through other stuff that she wasn't publicly presenting. Mm-hmm. Right. But then, yeah, I think to your point about like the way that swish swish is as a comeback and kind of how we all just wanted to roll our eyes about the whole stupid feud between Taylor Swift and Katy Perry mm-hmm. that then to have a whole song centered around it felt a little bit unearned yeah and and, and i think and people like, were over it well and and to your point about kesha coming out of this her her personal experience coming out and creating a really emotional album with some really good songs on it and just you know her art was on full display katie perry ostensibly coming out of something and rhyming shellfish and sheep and <laughs> you know, in a clapback song, right? Like, it's like, if they're like, but but also like trying to use the platform to be like, this is, in, you know, like, as you said, like, woke pop or, you know, yeah. progressive pop. It, it just, it just didn't, it was up. like, there was no there there. There was nothing to support yeah. it. Um, and it was, it was the, 
it was a prime example of sort of that 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 archetype of of like a vapid pop star who's trying to to change the world like it was exactly like 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 that right yeah. like there wasn't the actual meat or the um you know the wherewithal to do anything besides kind of stay down the middle and i think you know you know 2016 being one of the sharpest um brought into sharp focus sort of the polarization of the country you know with that election the idea that you would put out something that was sort of supposed to be woke but kind of inoffensive yeah and sort of right down the middle so you didn't alienate anyone just felt in that moment as like a cop-out right and like just trying to protect and preserve your base and you know so i think i think those those all contributed i think that you know the the fact that she wasn't working with dr luke you know, it definitely changed the sound. The songs are different. It's a different vibe. And like I said, I I listened to it um, this weekend, and I I enjoy a lot of the songs on here. I do. And, I think you know, as an I think as an album, this album by by far is the most cohesive album. I feel like she had done to this point. Hmm. Like I think that overall, there are some truly great songs on prism probably her best songs are on prism Mm. but the album prism as a whole i don't love when i listen to it straight through this album witness i have a really good time listening to this whole album straight through i find it i just find it interesting because it was supposed to be like an electro influenced album like I guess i can see it now at the time again it was just kind of like another letdown it's like christina's bionic you talk about it so much, and then what comes out is like, what? That's that's what you were. That's that's not what we got when you were talking about it, yeah. you know. And but 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 you know, we as just like with Bionic, we talked about listening to it later and being like, some of these songs are really good. They just weren't released at the time. Um, she was an imperfect messenger for this kind of stuff, and yeah. I think you know, Katy Perry, because of who she is, was an imperfect. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> vessel for this whatever her message was and the message wasn't strong enough and it do wasn't think, worn out by the art do, okay I have I have one last I have one last bullet point okay about why people think this song failed or why this whole album failed <laughs> okay and it never occurred to me uh-huh. I guess it th- there's a connection to our Jesse J conversation oh. that we had la- last week I think I know. Um, A lot of people think that Katy Perry lost a lot of her appeal when she cut all her hair off and dyed it blonde. That's weird to me because I, I... and I don't know if it made it into the episode last week, but that Jesse J album that we talked about alive, alive. Yeah. That was her debut of her blonde shaved head that Jesse J rose to rose to fame. Uh-huh. With the hardest bangs you've ever seen in your life, in the deepest black of blacks, <laughs> looking like a Kokeshi doll, full Kokeshi doll realness. If you don't know what that is, look it up on Google. It's a Japanese thing. Just hard bangs, hard black hard bangs. bangs, hard black bangs. And Katy Perry, right across the eyebrows. Katy Perry rises to fame with a a, a Betty Betty Page, Dita Von Teese, Betty Boop. 
sex kitten. But like in 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 polychromatic just wigs. Yeah, just like Technicolor all vintage bombshell yeah. chanteuse. Um, okay. thing. Also, but also with like black jet black hair, and I'm just meandering. But Jesse J, Katy Perry, they release these projects where they undergo transformation, mm-hmm. both short and blonde. It's like that Tyra Banks. Um, I wanted Mia Farrow in Rosemary's Baby haircut kind of moment, right? Mm-hmm. And I just find it so inconceivable. Did I use that word right? Inconceivable? <laughs> yeah. I always think I'm using that word wrong because the princess bride. I find it so inconceivable that enough of a fan base would turn on an artist because they died and cut their hair. Yeah, I mean, I don't look. I think that there's a there's you know you, you could argue that there's a precedent for this happening that like the cutting of your hair. It's kind of like with the gay men, and uh, also buzz cut, bleach blonde. Are they going through a breakup? What's happening? You know, like that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could. I, I would. I would. Oh, like Cheyenne Jackson. Yeah, when Cheyenne would, Jackson got divorced. Oh my goodness. Did yeah. you know he he's getting all his tattoos lasered off? Oh. I saw a picture of him the other day and I was like, where did all his ugly tattoos go? And I was like, I was looking back at his Instagram and they're slowly getting lasered off. Wait, the one he has his kids with, they're getting a divorce? No, no. This is back in oh, the day. Oh, back in the day. Okay, 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 okay. He had like, that what? he had that original fiance. This is like 2013, maybe. Cheyenne Jackson, famous actor on the glee. Mm-hmm. On the glee. Um he's he Broadway was too, right? Broadway actor. Um also, uh, Ryan Murphy affiliated on a lot mm-hmm. of the American Horror Story type of things. Anyway, Cheyenne Jackson, um, he was very publicly engaged to be married in the early 2010s, late 2000s. And then they broke up. And then I remember the press was really going wild about that he just looked like he was losing losing it. Like, he dyed his hair blonde. He got a lot of really ugly tattoos, like mm. prison looking tattoos. He got a giant tree. I shouldn't talk cause I have a forearm tattoo, but he got a tree <laughs> forearm tattoo. He got like some text written up like the side of his inner arm, just like a lot of tattoos. And, um, they just didn't look good. They didn't look well executed. Um, but sorry, I think that's, that's no, 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 that is exactly the thing. The and I, I think he suffered, I think it's he suffered execution. in his public image for that. Regardless Probably. of whatever he was going through, he bleached he bleached his hair. He got a bunch of tattoos. I feel like gay press were all like, "Is he on meth? Like, what's wrong with yeah. him?" Well, I mean, because and now it's it's now it's it's you know it's a signifier because now when when you see someone you follow on on Instagram or something and they they go through that, you're like, "Oh, she's going through it." Yeah, something's happening. Katy um, Perry. I think with Katy Perry, though, more importantly, was the execution of that album. I I mean, it coincided with. More than her being a blonde. Lack, uh, yeah, I think so. More than the eyeball in her mouth. I think all of it, but most important, I think, I think the 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 level, the just the the output, the execution of that just was not up to par. Huh. I think the execution was. I I think that the execution of this album was fantastic. I think that Katy Perry went through the majority of the two thousands. Being someone who could take you on a ride, 
She pulls up in her white van. She's like, hey, I've got some candy. You're like, great. Got in the van with her and she drove off. I think that it hits a point. <laughs> but I think that like, you know, she reemerges in 2017. She opens the door to her white van and she's got like, you know, a leg of lamb instead of some candy. And she's like, I'm a cool mom. Get in. I'm a cool yeah, mom. Yeah, no, that, that's the thing is like, it's sad that you could you you could you could hit that point where you no longer have the type of influence that you once had and you don't realize it Mm -hmm. you 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 went for so long being like oh i can do what i want i'm going to create this ridiculous album that i'm going to say is inspired by the cardigans but then it's going to be talked about as though it's a disco album and it's actually going to have the worst music ever created in the history of mankind and people will love it allegedly you know what I'm saying? Like she, she was going through that of being like, I can create the music I want. I love this mm-hmm. music and people will love it because I made it. Yeah. And then they weren't here for it. Yeah. Yeah. You reach that point where one day people are like, you know what? You're a, you're a 32 year old woman who just bleached your hair. Everything I love about you is gone. I will no longer follow you on this journey. And then I love it. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah. I, I was listening to the album on, um, I was listening to it on uh, on um, shuffle, so that things would kind of come out of order. And you know, I, I there wasn't any, there weren't any songs that like I didn't like. I mean, even even Bon Appetit, I was like, I can appreciate the musicality of this song now in a way that I think I was just so overwhelmed with just her and mm-hmm. the song, and especially if it's coming after Chain to the Rhythm. Yeah. Like I I didn't it was so jarring. I just like I was like what who oh, are you? You know, woke pop. She makes the song change of the rhythm. This this actually did bother me is that she she does Bon Appetit with Migos, right? Mm-hmm. And Migos is like I'll say they're allegedly homophobic. Mm-hmm. Allegedly homophobic. They had some not so kind words to say about um another hip hop artist that had come out of the closet in the press. They're basically saying like, because I think the question was something like, oh, how do you feel about like, you know, so-and-so came out and their fans are very supportive. And their response was like, well, the world is just that fucked up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so then Katy Perry, so in the midst of her social, social justice pop era is then getting a feature for her second single by this artist. Allegedly, when Katy Perry appears on Saturday Night Live in promotion for this album... She does the song Bon Appetit with Migos present. She has planned a number with drag queens. Because obviously this whole album has a lot of like 90s house inspired elements that feel very um, native to drag culture. Mm hmm. Um, reportedly Migos refused to appear on stage with drag queens. And so at the last minute, Katy Perry had a panic attack and had to replan that whole number around getting Migos on stage and not have any, any drag queens in the number. And people were, I mean, I think people now are sympathetic towards Katy Perry about it, but I think at the time people were like, what, what are you doing? You know? Because she did make she did make a point to then do Swish Swish as her second number and have all the drag queens present as part of that number. But at the time, it was just like, 
it was a bad look. And I think that that was another, that was another thing that I had somewhere in my bullet point, my disorganized bullet points. Um, and so that's why you like swish swish. <laughs> I think this one more than, more than in other episodes where we were talking about someone that we love, a song that we really love that we don't understand why it was a failure. This is more of a song. Like I understand, I fully understand why this song was a failure. The song was by someone that I generally don't like. And yet inexplicably, I love it. Inexplicably. What, 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 okay. What is most confusing to me about this song and the reason that I wanted to talk about this song is that in the face of all of the terrible, terrible music that Katy Perry has released that have been like huge hits, huge successes for her, record-breaking songs for her, that this was the... This was the point where her career really took a turn. Yeah, I mean, it only hit number 46. When I actually think that she was making her best music, when her music was just starting to get good, that that's the turning point for her is, it's just something I wanted to discuss. And I think I got very animated. But I think you should cut this part out and put this at the front. <laughs> Because it's now two hours in. I know. I'm gonna have to and cut we a lot get to like why you why you <laughs> like it. I was like, that makes sense to me. That makes sense to me. I'll wrap this up by saying Swish Swish is a great song. And I think that everything that she has done since Witness to me has been sonically better music and music that is more fitting to her voice. I feel like in the aftermath of witness, she is hedging her bets and moving back a little bit towards what she was doing with, with prism mm -hmm. musically, like sonically, like the yeah. music is more related I, to, prism I believe that I, I co with that, but I feel like it, it, it carries away with it. Some of the cool factor for me that she had on witness. Uh -huh. She did a great song after this um, with Zed that never got oh, added to an album or, stay or something. Huh? What's it called? Stay three, six, three, three, six, three, five, five, Great song. Great song, 365. I also think that she, um, Not the End of the World. Did we talk about that on the record? No. No? No. Okay. Was that before well, we you recording? Well, like, you like that song because that's like your favorite. I do enjoy Never Really Over and Daisies. So I'm fully anticipating the backlash from you right I, now. I, I, don't, I don't love Daisies. I don't love daisies. I like not the end of the world because again, the video is silly and Zoe Deschanel's in it. Um, if you haven't watched it, check it out. Mm -hmm. um, the song um, never really over. What's mm -hmm. funny about Katy Perry music is that a lot of her music feels too mid tempo to me. Mm -hmm. It's too slow that I can't bop to it. Um, but her songs are really popular in like spinning classes because spinning classes, you kind of need a lower mid tempo song to pedal along with. Mm -hmm. That's never, why uh, never really over is really good for that. That's why Ariana Grande uh, really does it for me when I'm spinning. It's, it's like you said earlier about like those critical associations that you form with songs about like mm -hmm. how you came to enjoy that waking up in Vegas song yeah. because of some out external influence. It's like, that's to me a lot, a lot of the newer Katy Perry stuff is like, it's so popular in spinning classes that it bolsters my enjoyment of those songs more you get, than I think. You get swept away on to bring in a track from <laughs> Witness on a tsunami of Katy Perry appreciation. I do. I was trying to. I was trying to come up with the 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 pun about 
Katy Perry asked for a witness and no one showed up to church or. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is stunning that for someone who had so many top tens and number ones that swish swish, the highest it charted was 46. Like, yeah. I mean, it was a stunning bon- fall from grace. I think the whole album was dead after Bon Appetit to be totally yeah. honest. No, I, and and as a pop consumer, I didn't care about anything that came out after that. Because Bon Appetit, like, I was ready to hear what came after Chain to the Rhythm. It wasn't my favorite, yeah. but I was ready to hear what was going to happen to it. I think the other thing about Swish Swish that we didn't talk about is it's very flat. It does not go anywhere. Oh, my God. Really? What? I don't feel like it builds. Oh, my God. And then it just ends. I mean, I'm, I think clipping, became, I'm clipping this in because I... okay completely disagree because oh, no. that is every other Katy Perry song. Every other Katy Perry song goes nowhere. What are you talking about? They all have big bridges and then they have a huge finale. Not all like of with you're, most you're of th- them do. I think you think I think you think firework is like every Katy Perry song because fully, fully the unrockedness of Katy Perry's music ex- I don't it think extends it to, to be it extends to the fact that like Doctor a lot of Dr. Luke songs, he takes a like a four measure drum loop and just loops it the whole time. No fills, no no nothing. It's the same four drum beats for the entire song. Yeah, and I but think I think the melody and the vocal builds. No. No. Nope, you you can't, can't tell you me can't. that like with this with this with the with with this deep house beat that it actually builds. What I love, what I love is a good disco break. And I think that that's, that to me is what builds about Swish Swish is that, and I guess maybe that's actually like the letdown. I, I know I, I think disco breaks are controversial. Like, cause it's basically where the music just all stops. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, I like that. I just felt like it's anticlimactic. I just didn't like for you. It, it, it's anticlimactic, but it. It, it gives me. For I me, live, I'm like, I live for the levels. I don't. I don't need to. I don't need to reach like the peak of Kilimanjaro. Sometimes I just it, would have liked to reach the peak of like you know the Hollywood Hills here. <laughs> you know, like I just felt like it was very like it was very one level. No, I yeah, and I I mean that's <laughs> the way that I feel about it. like like la, uh, that last Friday night song TGIF the whole song is like one thing. And then you get like, I think they try to create levels with that music with like a saxophone solo and whatnot, but like really like all of those songs, like they're like dirges to me. But that to me does it. The, the saxophone solo, the, you know, the looping of the, of the, of the vocal and like, just not, she doesn't, like in this one, I don't feel like she did any ad libs because it's she's not really singing the song, right? Whereas yeah, like the other song she does, and so when I'm saying like she builds like towards the end when the chorus is singing, she doesn't sing the chorus. She's singing her ad libs, and like it's building to this point where she's just vocalizing. Well, you things. and I just live for different things, I think. So. And I'm like, there was not here. <laughs> just like she repeated it, and then it was done. Yeah, no, yeah, no, no. Everything else about Katy Perry's music is just so every every other Katy Perry song to me is so flat, so flat. You know what I'm most offended by? <laughs> that at the end of this 
episode, I will come off like a Katy Perry stand theoretically. <laughs> and I'm no, not. I think that I think that we both have I think that we both have like a narrow window into what mm. Katy Perry is for us. Mm-hmm. Like I think you have a very small subset of Katy Perry songs that you really, really love. Yeah. Versus like I have a very small subset of Katy Perry songs that I com- I absolutely hate. <laughs> like I'll I'll give her this. I was listening to a lot of her albums in whole this mm-hmm. week, and her whole albums straight through are not as bad as like the singles that I really hate. Yeah, I I would I I would agree that like I tend to like some of the non. I, even though even though uh, Wide Awake was a single. Like it's not. It's not me, one of her. It's not one of her hit singles. Yeah, 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 that's what I mean. Like it's not. Like I, I like some of the album tracks better. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, anyway. I think we learned a lot. Katy Perry's been redeemed for me this week. So <laughs> she went from being the worst person. She she was <laughs> the literal murderer of girl rock. She was. Alt she was. I, I will. I will close with that. Like she. She killed she nuns. She, she killed destro- nuns. Oh God, the nuns. We didn't talk <laughs> we about the we nuns. We will not talk about that. We're not going we to talk, about, talk that. about that. We'll talk no. about that. As, maybe we should talk about that as news next week. <laughs> anyway, you know what else I didn't get to talk about is the death because the out of out of the death of female fronted pop rock, I think that we lost Demi Lovato's pop rock career. What? Well, Demi but- Lovato. Demi Lovato. I think strategically had to not be a rock artist anymore demi lovato's well, she first was, two albums you know, was like she was a rocker and she was a good rocker she was a rocker in so much as insofar as she attended camp rock uh, yes. on the disney channel she learned with everything. the jonas brothers famous other rock icons the jonas brothers but um, the whole idea that demi lovato now is like pop i love her R&B? i love her no she's just i think she's just pop and but you I know think... she the, she I feel like she had a she had a moment where her music was leaning towards R and B, but I, her first two albums listen to listen to Don't yeah. Forget by Demi Lovato, listen to Remember December by Demi Lovato, and see what we missed out on because Katy Perry destroyed a whole genre. Oh poor Katy Perry! But you know what? But like Demi, God at the inauguration, Demi doing Lovely Day, I loved it. I want her to release that. I was like, that was good. And she also, also, pixie cut. Oh, it's over. Because she's, well, she's, she, I mean, she was in rehab last year. Like, and she's, you know. Oh, God. Oh, God. And that, that, oh, that performance at the Grammys last year, anyone, the one where she had to start over. Oh, my God. So good. So good. I she was, feel like, terrible. I, I, oh, God. I love her. I love her. The so fact much. that, but like the fact that she legitimately, it sounded like she almost died. Yeah, from a drug. No, I, 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 we can talk about her later. But uh, yeah. I, I do, I oh, do I sh- thoroughly enjoy. Oh my god, her. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a deep dive into Demi Lovato <gasps> and her the, all the pop rock music that she made that never made it big for her, like Skyscraper. No, what? <laughs> no, I know, I know. I just said that to piss you off. <laughs> oh my god, listen to "Don't Forget" by Demi Lovato. I'm gonna put it on this week's playlist like seven times so that everyone hears it. Okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Anyway, before we get too far gone, I do want to give our special thanks to Adam Belter. Yes. 
for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopperdiver.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social at flopperdiver on Instagram and Twitter and at facebook.com slash flopperdiver. And join the other fans, listeners, and email us at flopperdiver.com. Email us at flopredeemer at gmail.com. Um, we'd love to get your suggestions. We are considering how to incorporate those suggestions into our into our uh, our episodes um, and and you know some of the topics. Um, we're really looking forward to that. So email us. Indeed. Bish. Can I say the word bish? <laughs> I don't know. I love that like you're concerned about that, but like this is still the song that you really love. Well, I'm definitely too old to say bish. I'm too old and too I don't I'm not I'm not I'm not the bish demographic. <laughs>